get some comfort and joy in a bowl of crispy hexagons. <laughs> it's Saturday Morning Crunch. We review the Saturday Morning Cartoons as nominated by you. And yes, these serials are real. You can Google them. I'm your host, Kyle Von Kubik, and I'm joined along with... Uh, Johnny Capcom. Um, I have to imagine the only thing you'd find at the bottom of a bowl of crispy hexagons is a reason to do it. <laughs> That's terrible. Especially this time of year, John. Really? Okay. Don't do it. Don't eat hexagons. Yes, okay? don't eat crispy hexagons. Find some joy and light in your life. Uh, you you deserve to spend the extra 50 cents to get, the, you know, the, the, the other things, the balls or whatever. So, uh, this episode, we're talking the real Ghostbusters, specifically Season 1, Episode 13, Xmas Marks the Spot. Uh, it aired December 13th, 1986. Appropriately aired December 13th, 1986. Yeah, yeah. Unlike the Robocop cartoon, which <laughs> came out in June or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was a total of seven seasons for the real Ghostbusters, with an episode count of 154. John, do you remember this as a kid? Oh, certainly. Sure, we uh, all do. Uh, yeah, this was, like, the Ghostbusters was a huge property. The cartoon was a big part of that, because it was always on, and the toys were everywhere, yeah. and uh, I used to have books. Like, I used to release, like, books of, like, storybooks. Yep, I had those. I had, I had, I had a bunch of those. And, um, yeah, it was just a monstrous uh, success, I think. Sure, yeah. And it made the property more acceptable for children while staying very true to the source material. The toys were, like, a proto-gross-out error type thing. Although, I, I guess this was happening in the 80s with, like, the Inhumans and things. Like, there were some gross-out type cartoons but not to the level of like the 90s where it was all, you know, poo poo and farts and stuff like that or barf. But the, yeah. the toys themselves are at least the one I had. <laughs> we always talk about how poor we are or were when we were kids. But I had one Ghostbusters toy. It was an Egon and you would push a button on the back of Egon and his hair would lift up off his head and his eyes would bulge out of his face. Did you have any of these freak out type toys? Yeah. Yeah. I had the Winston one where... Um, Did he have his tongue pop out? I know his eyes yeah. bulged too, right? Yeah, his jaw opened out really wide. Yes. And uh, Winston was always my favorite Ghostbuster because uh, he was the first toy I had. Sure. And you know, like I got the toy before I'd seen any of the cartoons or the films. Oh, really? And then I was like, oh, I gotta, I can't wait to watch it to see this guy that I have been playing around with. Yeah. And um, then as an adult, I was there going, no, he's still my favorite character. He's the best line in the original movie for my money. And what's that line? These things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen shit that'll turn you white. <laughs> <laughs> that so funny. Winston is not given a lot to do in the first film, particularly because he is the outsider coming into this group of weirdo scientists. That's his character, right? So he's, he's supposed mm -hmm. to represent the everyman. So he comes in a little later into the film. Uh, but in the cartoon, he's given uh, as much as a role as the other guys because the cartoon is happening canonically after the first film. So these are the adventures these guys are going on. They're all experienced Ghostbusters, which is interesting. It's cool that this cartoon, I think, did a very good job at extending the franchise for so long probably did a better job than the sequel uh ghostbusters uh, 2 yes i would agree with that yeah yeah which winston had a lot more to do in yeah um, yeah he did he did yeah you know, but it's just not but, a good uh, film 
I get into arguments with my wife uh, about I this. Nah, I don't like this film. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's bad, but like there's some cool stuff in it. Like the the painting of Vigo mm-hmm. is really cool, but it's not great. You think you're lying to yourself if you think it is great. Um, I'd rather watch got, another episode of this cartoon or several episodes of this cartoon than watch that film again. You know, I've seen worse films. I just don't like the film. I feel like it was a slapdash. It, it forgets a lot of the things that I enjoyed about the first movie. The relationship between Janine and Egon completely forgotten about in Ghostbusters 2 where now she's with yeah. Rick Moranis for some reason and I get it Rick Moranis was very funny in the first film but he was interested in Sigourney Weaver that was his character yeah. now things are you know people are being coupled there's a baby involved I got a baby in my life I don't need to watch this baby <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I always say, like, you can tell a sitcom was about to die as soon as characters start getting married and having kids together. Yeah. I think um, that the, the cartoon's approach of... And it's easier because, again, it's a cartoon and it's serialized, but what's the monster of the week this week? I do like the fact that the cartoon turns Slimer into a lovable pet. And I always, yes. for, like, not always forget, but as a kid, that was Slimer. And these were the Ghostbusters, like you t- touched on. I watched a lot more of this cartoon and probably... Probably saw the cartoon first before I saw the film. So whenever I watch the original film and see Slimer, it's I'm always like, take it back just a touch, where I'm like, oh yeah, that's what he really looks like. <laughs> you know, he's not yeah, this adorable, yeah. cuddly looking thing. He's very grotesque. And he's a villain. Yes, yeah, he's a bad guy. Although I think they even retconned that in the second movie where he, you know, helps out the Ghostbusters in some capacity, right? He drives the bus for Rick Moranis. Oh uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, He's got to earn don't, don't, they, don't they control the Statue of Liberty with an NES advantage? They do, yes. Of course. Uh, the, For that hot NES title that came out called The Ghostbusters. That like there was so there was a lot attached to that one film when you really think about it. Like they they merchandised it a lot. Uh, one thing I always liked from this cartoon was the redesign of the characters. Like I liked oh, that Egon yeah. was you know, I liked that he was blonde. Yes. I have a theory about this. Maybe you'll agree. So each one of their jumpsuits is a different color. And instead of it just being, you know, three white dudes and one black guy and the three white dudes all have brown hair. Yes. Egon is blonde. um, Venkman has black hair and Stance has brown hair. It's a little chubbier. They look like the attitudes of those characters instead of looking like the characters from the film. Like you wouldn't mistake who they're supposed to be, but they look nothing like, like it doesn't look like Dan Aykroyd, you know, at all. No. Uh, It doesn't look like Bill Murray at all, but or Ernie Hudson. But I think they did those interpretations with the di- different colored hair and the different colored jumpsuits so that children could easily distinguish who these characters were. Little children, I'm yeah. talking. Little, little children. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, w- weird. Uh, and like the, it looks better on a store shelf when you're sucking toys as well. There's really good representation happening of all different skin tones, which I think is a really good thing. You know, if you, if you live in the Midwest uh, back in the 80s or early 90s and you're watching this cartoon there's a good chance that like winston was the only black person you knew in your small town so it's important that there's good representation and and there's positive representation of those different races and cultures and things and i just i'm sure it had nothing to do with it there wasn't their goal that there wasn't like something i'm sure deke was thinking about when they put this out but i i think it kind of worked out and and it helps this show maintain a sort of like just 
it it holds up really well because it actually is representing New York City, albeit like, you know, you got break dancers <laughs> happening. It's very 80s, ni- early 90s. We all know that's what New York is actually like, okay? There's people selling hot dogs everywhere. <laughs> there's people break dancing everywhere. And there's gangs everywhere. Yes, yes. That wear, and they all wear uh, fabulous outfits. They do. Uh, that, you know, that helped them notice one another on the streets, you know? The uh, design of the character of Egon in particular with the blonde hair, I always thought that that... Uh, do you remember the... The 2016 version with the women. Yes. Uh, I remember Kate McKinnon, I think is the actress's name. Yes. Uh, she played the scientist or the science They're all scientists, I suppose, of a, yeah. of a sort. Uh, type character and she had hair like Egon from the cartoon oh yeah and I don't know if that was explicitly a choice by the director or she just made that decision but I felt like it was very obvious a nod to the cartoon which I enjoyed I I think that the cartoon in a lot of ways has superseded the actors who played the the role like you know we know who Peter Venkman is or who Egon like Harold Ramis Harold Ramis ain't that interested of a dude to look at (laughs) to be honest, on film. And his character in the original film, it makes sense. He's he's supposed to be a very dry, boring scientist. Um, But I think that this cartoon may have penetrated everyone's memories of who these characters are more than the film. So I would agree with you. I think Kate McKinnon's hairstyling was influenced whether it was consciously or subconsciously because of this cartoon. That was a weird film as well, the uh, the 2016 version. What'd you think of that Um, film? There's one joke in it I love, and that's the bit where the lead woman, Melissa McCarthy, always look. No, the other one. She always looks like she's just been told something Kristen, harrowing about her child. Kristen Wiig. Her, yes. Yeah. She goes to the mayor uh, to tell him about ghosts are going to attack the town, yeah. and he just brushes her off. And she goes, "Oh my god, you're like the mayor in Jaws," and he just freaks out and goes, "Never compare me to the mayor in Jaws." <laughs> and it's like in that moment you go, "Whoa, somebody said this to him before, and he did not appreciate it." <laughs> Um, it's a good line. I think the problem with, with that film though is that like the original films the tone was almost like an old school film everything felt very tight yes and machined yeah uh, whereas this was that more kind of oh just put the people in the room and give them direction and let them come up with their own jokes yeah see this is and, why I have you on the show because I love hearing my own opinions echoed back at me ah uh, okay great <laughs> because, no I'm serious because everything you just said about the film I, I don't like the film and it has nothing to do with them having an all-female cast. I was all for that. I thought that there was enough years removed from the original films. Why not? Those are all funny women. But when it becomes a schlocky, not even schlocky, but just sort of like a yuck-yuck improv sketch, it loses the thread of what the original film was, where it was dry and it, you know, had a tone and it was very, very tight to that script because you had two comedic writers who, you know, they didn't want comedic actors coming in and doing their lines. Haramis and Aykroyd wanted you to do the lines that they wrote because they thought that those lines were very funny and there was a good pacing to those lines where it wasn't like shotgunned at you. You know, it, it the, built was, to the those characterization. Jokes. The characterization was very tight as well. Yes, and it did not feel that way in the the remake. It felt like four actors just kind of going, you know, rolling around. Like again, I actually did. I, I liked Kate McKinnon's go as the scientist. Mm-hmm. So I remember there was like a line in it later on. Where someone asks her, like, do you know how many laws you broke? And she's like, was it one? (laughs) (laughs) 
And I, I liked her approach to that character, but I, I look, I think that film was okay if it hadn't have been called Ghostbusters. Yeah, sure. The Dawn of the Dead remake is an okay Dawn of the Dead remake. It would be a great film if it was called anything but Dawn of the Dead because there's already a great movie called Dawn of the Dead. Right. You know, uh, but again, people made their minds up about it beforehand. There's people who hated it uh, before they'd even seen it and people who were championing it yeah, before as, you know, this great stride for women. Essentially, like having a woman step off the Apollo lander before <laughs> Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Shove them right out of the way. Yeah, like somewhat, you know, it'd be, it'd be like as if Sigourney Weaver slam dunked a basketball on the moon before, uh, <laughs> <laughs> before Neil Armstrong got there. I found that film to be very middling and it lost me when they fought the logo of Ghostbusters. Yeah. When the logo, no, logo came to life, I, I was like, nah, I'm out. I'm done with this. And Cinda, I do love that logo in the intro to this cartoon. Oh, yeah. Wait, where is yeah. he strutting down the street? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, man I, I they really like... got their uh, money's worth out of that Ray Parker Jr. song, I'll tell you. Between the theme <laughs> well, song he's... and it's every musical interlude they could put it in during the show. He needs the royalties, okay? <laughs> I don't get tired of it, though. That's what's funny. Is I'm like, there it is again. I, when I was in college, I met this woman and she was wearing a t-shirt. And <laughs> a lot said, of people busting wearing... makes me feel good. And you're like, oh, my soulmate. <laughs> No, well, people weren't saying that back then. Um, Boston hadn't become uh, what it means. Uh, no, but she was wearing a Ghostbusters 2 symbol t-shirt. Oh, okay. And I, I saw tons of people wearing Ghostbusters shirt, but she the one with the with the fingers held yeah. up. Yeah. With the, with the number two. And I was like, that's the best one I've seen. Where'd you get that? She's like, oh, some shop in Coventry or whatever. And I was like, well, I'm never going there. So that's, uh, <laughs> that was a question. So give me your shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me your give me your small women's shirt <laughs> so I can incredible Hulk out of it. But, um, I was gonna say the we were talking about the toys. Yeah, obviously my the haunted humans they were my favorite. There was like I remember there was like a granny and you could you could press her hat and like her whole face and neck would fall open. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant, yeah. Uh, there was the like, toilet. Uh, Do you but, remember the toilet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, which I'm sure gave a lot of children anxiety when they were <laughs> yeah. learning how to shit. I remember there was, um, there's a lot of, but the, those were actually re-released last year. Oh, were they? Um, in full by Hasbro, because really? they bought Kenner. Nice. And they they just released the old uh, line again. And as far as I know, it did quite well. John, describe the plot of this particular episode. The uh, the real Ghostbusters, not the fake ones. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. They get sucked into the plot of A Christmas Carol, which I'm assuming, much like Ghostbusters, I don't need to explain to people. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what A Christmas Carol is. At least you've seen the Muppet Christmas of Carol, course. which is actually a really good version. Yeah. But uh, they, which is it's actually a really genius premise because they get sucked into the plot of that and. Just before Scrooge is to be uh, visited by the ghosts of Christmas future, past, and present, they just sucked them into the trap with the <laughs> proton packs. Which was genuinely like, funny. Yeah. That's a great setup. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, well, that takes care of that. Back to New York. But what's funny is, in the, in this, like, Scrooge, he's free of the, the Christmas ghosts. And when the Ghostbusters leave to go back into the portal bring them back to, to New York. Yeah. He goes, I'll finally wage war on Christmas. And I was like, holy shit, the actual war on Christmas that <laughs> radicalized old people talk about. Actually, I did a bit more research on the war on Christmas yeah. and I, I got deep because of this cartoon. And weirdly enough, Christmas, like Yuletide, the, the idea of Yule or the winter solstice, 
Like, there was a lot of old pagan traditions. Everything that Christmas trees and gift giving mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff was all a, a big stew of European mythologies, essentially. Right. But really, around this time of year, in all world cultures, there's, you know, markings and celebrations to do with, you know, astronomy and stuff. There was a, a formalization, shall we say, of celebration in Europe. That was what Christmas was. And then they stapled a Jesus on the stew bowl later on right. when they decided, when the world became Christianized, Jesus got put into the stew along with Norse mythology, Celtic mythology and Roman mythology and all the rest. Yeah. So, it, which is fitting. It's what it should be. You know, it's just another, it's like the Japanese. <laughs> like they, they have KFC yes. on Christmas Day. You yeah, see that in the Colonel modern Sanders. day, they, they confuse Colonel Sanders with Santa Claus with Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard like... a uh, a good, I believe it was a Radio Lab episode where there was a push by some businesses to make Easter a bigger thing in Japan, and one department store put up a crucifix. Uh, and oh yeah, with, with Easter Bunny. <laughs> say it, say it one more time without laughing, so everyone can hear. <laughs> <laughs> there was a crucifix with the Easter Bunny nailed to it. If I yes, yes, and there was also another crucifix where Santa Claus was nailed to. <laughs> <laughs> so they missed the mark just a touch, but I love them well, for it. To be it. fair, they're not a Christian country. No. They don't have any history of uh, no. of any. Um, well, they do have a history of Christianity, which they outlawed. <laughs> and uh, there's a real war on Christianity. Go back and look what the Japanese did. They wiped it out on the islands. Uh, to go back to it, like, there was all these pagan traditions around the end of the year. And when Christianity t- took over, and specifically uh, more puritanical Protestant uh, pr- post-Reformation Christianity, when that took yeah. hold, they were like, hey, man, we're not doing all this stupid pagan crap. We're getting rid of all this. There's no holidays on Christmas now. It, and so they... Drove it, uh, drove it away and in particular Christmas was against the law in America for 20 years uh, when the Puritans were over there making up laws yeah. and it was actually the book A Christmas Carol which revived all those Christmas traditions because people the book was a smash hit and people were like oh yeah that, you know what getting together with my family and having dinner and like having fun during the winter that sounds better than what I'm doing now Yeah, which is you know existing until the sun comes back <laughs> And um, so if A Christmas Carol hadn't been written, yeah. Christmas would be wiped out. Right. And because when the Ghostbusters come back to the future, mm. oh, God, another tie-in. <laughs> um, but, but when they come back to the to the 80s or whatever, um, they find that Christmas isn't celebrated, which it wouldn't be if Christmas Carol hadn't uh, been such a hit. Yeah. And I don't know if they knew all the history of that, but it was kind of an ingenious approach, and it was better than the usual bad guy who doesn't like Christmas is going to steal Christmas from this X by Y square footage of a place. And instead, they're, uh, like you said, transported into fictitious Victorian England. And you don't really realize that until they come back where they're, you know, they're in a snowstorm. The car breaks down. They start walking. And all of a sudden they find this town, but it's an old, you know, old timey town. I thought, OK, so is like, and I don't know why I think like this, but I guess it's because I'm an adult watching cartoons. I'm, I'm like, is canonically is is Dickens Christmas Carol in the same universe as the real Ghostbusters? <laughs> 
I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, ghosts exist in both. And I was fine with that. I was fine with that. But then when they come back and they realize that Christmas has been, you know, changed dramatically and everyone hates Christmas now, they do say that, oh, we went to Dickens' fictitious book through that portal. So uh, One thing I'll say is, um, and what's kind of funny, is that you can complain and go, oh, is this set in the, the fake universe of Dickens' book? <laughs> it definitely is set in a fake universe when there's mountains outside of London. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> because they come down out of the mountains and just walk straight into London. I've been, I've been to London, let me tell you. There's no mountains there. <laughs> right? it's, in a, it's in a giant river basin. You, you can get caught up in it, but... Ultimately, it's just, it's a fun thought experiment, I think. Yeah, and once they come back, they realize that they've altered history and they got to fix it. The problem is they've uh, uploaded the three ghosts into that ghost vault, that chamber. And so now they're just in there. And it's interesting because this show explores what happens on the other side of that containment tank. And that's where it being a cartoon, there's more creative liberties to explore the universe further. So while Egon is going to try to extract those three ghosts and get them back to Scrooge to do their business uh, and save Christmas, um, Winston, uh, Stance, and Venkman go back to the portal that's just perpetually surrounded in this snowstorm up in the hills or mountains of upstate New York, and they're going to dress up as the ghosts. And then, you know, comedy ensues with that thing happening. I really want people to watch it. I don't want to give away all the beats. Because this is... That is a funny setup, though, where they have to be the, the three goals, the Christmas present. Yeah. Uh, past yeah. And future. It's handled well. It's genuinely funny. I think a lot of the humor from the films translate well into this cartoon and its writing. And uh, yeah, I would... I I recommend you watching this around the, the Christmas time. It's is it's definitely better than uh, Christmas Comes to Packland. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I watch that every year. So, you know... Eat, Lofi, eat. We'll be right back. The Hot-Blooded Challenger Club podcasts are a proud affiliate of Animation Legends. Head on over to animationlegends.com and scope the large assortment of animation cells they're offering. Own a piece of animation history. For just $25, you can get five different cells from some of your favorite animated shows. Shows like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Vampire Hunter D, Captain N, The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, Star Wars Ewoks, and many other. And you can pay even less with our special promo code RINGS at checkout. That's R-I-N-G-S. Go to animationlegends.com or click the link in this show's description and tell them that the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club sent you with our promo code RINGS. Oh, hey there, listener. I didn't see you come in. Well, since you're here, let me personally thank you for listening to this program. If you'd like to show your support a little bit further, check out the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club. That's hotbloodedchallenger.club. You can become a member for as little as a dollar a month. And with that dollar, you get access, early access, to premium episodes of this very podcast. What's a premium episode? Additional content that's cut just for club members. You could be listening to that instead of this advertisement right now. And hey, don't have the buck, but want to support the show? Leave us a five-star review on your podcast catcher of choice. Honestly, it it goes so far to help our algorithm, so one day you could hear me advertising for... 
comfortable underoos, or a really good mattress, or yet another subscription box. But regardless, thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get back to the show. Shake, Loki. Shake. Now back to our show. I, I would put this in your, if you're a fan of Christmas special cartoons, I'd put this in your rotation. Stylistically, we, we touched on how distinct these characters look. To me, I was, I was getting notes of Eon Flux from 1991. Not as, as dramatic, but these characters are just really stylized and good looking. And, and that's what it reminded me of. Well, it's funny you mentioned Eon Flux because I get it. I didn't really remind me of anything. Yeah. And, that, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Like it stood out on its own to me when I watched yeah. it. Especially like uh, you mentioned before, like a, a lot of the camera work for lack of a better word is very creative yes. and it's like I don't think I've ever really seen anything like this in a cartoon before right I think that's why it hit that note for me and obviously this came out before but there were like good cinematic choices made and it's a cartoon for children why would you bother doing this but I really really appreciate it watching it as adults and I feel like maybe because of their property they were trying to create something that like a parent's gonna watch with their child and they're both going to enjoyment uh, particularly there's one scene where Winston is talking to Egon pretty easy scene you can just have two talking heads looking at each other or you know you do over the shoulder type shot where you're looking at Winston and then over the shoulder where you're looking at Egon whatever or if it's a He-Man you have two characters facing the screen <laughs> and just their mouth move. Right. But instead in this, we're looking at Egon's face and in the reflection of his glasses, we see Winston who's talking to him. You know, th- there's film directors that get paid big bucks that don't do shots as creative as that. But t- after that shot, there's a shot of Egon's face on the side and the camera kind of moves mm-hmm. and you get a sense of depth yes. to their um, lair. Um, for lack of a better word, but like it, the depth of environment is not something that you saw in a lot of cartoons back. No, then. it feels. I mean, it feels alive. It, it feels like they're in a real place. Um, these are real characters. They have depth. Uh, the- what were those sticker books called? Remember the like the plastic sticker? Oh, books? color forms. Yeah, that, a lot of the cartoons felt like those. Yeah. Oh yeah, because how could I forget? Your son has uh, boatloads of dinosaur them. Yes. ones. <laughs> that uh, I had to help him sort through. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that's the thing. Like, it, it, They do look like flat because they were flat cells laid yeah. on top of backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, whereas this, there's a, there's a depth to the image that um, I didn't expect. And it was, I don't want to say spectacular, but I mean, certainly at the time it would have been mind-blowing in comparison to what else was going sure. on. Sure. I mean, it's on par yeah. with Jace and the Wheeled Warriors um, as far as the level of animation that was put into that show. But even that show, it didn't have those type of shots. It was a good-looking show, but it mm-hmm. didn't have that c- cinematic feel, and maybe that is because of the property, that they wanted it to appear more cinematic. There's also some screen wipes that are very interesting, um, that play, I guess, better as a cartoon than it would as a live-action film, but it's cool, again, making it feel cinematic. The art direction of this show is... Like, you know what? I want to say is his strongest point, but really, the writing really impressed me, too. It's overall, it's just a really tight show. It's really good. Yeah, the the, the characterization sticks as well, because the voice cast is actually quite good. Whoa, John, did you hear that? It's a random encounter question. This is Patreon-exclusive content dumped into a podcast you're already listening to that you can only hear if you're a member of the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club. So if you're listening to this right now, thank you for being a member of that club. John, are you ready for your random encounter question? Yes. Okay, here it comes. Give me a notable Christmas memory. Good, bad, or ugly. Notable Christmas memory from your past. 
really the first one that sticks into my mind, right, was when I was a kid, um, myself and my mom, we lived in a tiny little house, mm-hmm. but we would always go to my granny's house to spend like her Christmas week. Sure. So we would move into her house essentially on Christmas Eve and stay there until maybe the day after New Year's. Okay. And um, I'll never forget one year coming back to our little house because I hated coming home because everybody was around you in my granny's house because everybody would come to visit. Mm-hmm. And um, it was always a, like, a depressing coming back to your house because <laughs> you just come back and it's just, you know, it's not what you're used to now. Right. You know? And you're not getting loads of free stuff and it's over yeah now, uh, I came we came back to the house and um, there was a present that was left there that my mom had left for me knowing that we'd come back and it'd be a bummer oh that's so sweet and uh, it was a Master System game as well so it was a great present wow do you remember what game it was yeah it was the Lucky Dime Caper oh okay and I'm looking here it's got like really high ratings as well so it's not just my memory <laughs> um of it. Uh, but no, I remember that was that was like a huge deal to me where I was like, wow, today isn't terrible. Sure. And um, like all of a sudden I was just happy to be back in the house. You know? Yeah. But like when I was a child as well, and I still get pe- family members giving me grief over this. <laughs> like where we're from is kind of, it's a very old town. It's 1500 years mm. old. Okay. So every time every building in place is between generations at all times and people used to have farms in their back gardens is the best way I can describe it in the town okay so like some people would keep cows in their back garden <sighs> uh, so they could get their milk that right way. so because even though we were in the middle of the town somebody had like a barn in their back garden and it had a big light on it and my mom told me it was the star of Bethlehem <laughs> and I believed her <laughs> And people still make fun of me, even though I was four oh my when that happened. So, yeah, there's a good and a bad memory. <laughs> anyway, we're back. I mean, and uh, All right, John, it, you know what? We talked about the art style. We talked about the writing. Let's talk about the voice acting. Why is Garfield voicing Peter Vankman? Is that Garfield's voice? Yeah, it's Garfield's voice from the cartoon, as well as the movies. But what's funny is the actor the voice actor who plays peter vankman is trying to do a bill murray type voice the same voice actor would go on to do the garfield cartoon in which he would do a bill murray type voice then years later when the cgi garfield movie comes out you got bill murray doing the voice that the voice actor was doing from the cartoon it's, it all comes full circle which i really appreciate yeah i never really garfield never had penetration with me Oh, you missed out. Well, you know um, what? Lasagna is not very popular in I- Ireland, I imagine. So that's probably why. And you guys love no, Mondays. Because, <laughs> uh, that's it. Uh, we love Mondays, and we, you know, we hate Italian food. Yes. Um, like I know, like I was aware of Garfield, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And I always loved the art style of the comics in particular. It gets a very, I like that kind of chunky mm-hmm. look that the the comic art has. And I would know who Garfield was, but. I can't say it had any great penetration sure. with me from that time. Um, but And I love the, the, the modern era of Garfield art where he's a, a, a monster. Yes. Yeah, I don't... Like, this would It would have been lost on me. I mean, when I watched... Or when I watched... When I looked up the show on Wikipedia, I was kind of surprised to see Arsenio Hall was the voice of Winston. So was I, yeah. Because like, he's notable enough. Right. I guess this was 
perhaps before his uh, show or in tandem with it. Actually, time-wise, I think it's in tandem with it, but good for him for getting the, the role and the work, and he does a great job. All the voice actors do a good job where, you know, artistically stylized, I said that they the characters look more like the attitudes of their uh, live-action film counterparts. The voices do a good job of sounding close to those actors. Yeah, like, it's it feels authentic, ultimately. Right. Um, and that's kind of, that's all really matters, especially when you're a kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you know what but, um, I also appreciate too? Um, <laughs> well, you know who doesn't sound anything like their character from the film would probably be Slimer. And they, they cued him up a lot. And I know Slimer, there was lots of toys and there was stuffies and stuff like that. But they don't force him on, at least within the first season, because I have the entire first season and I, I watched a handful of episodes. He's a, He's very much a part of the team. But they don't ham fist them into the episode, so it's like make sure you buy the Slimer toy. You know, it's they had enough toys to begin with because the monster design is incredible. It's like come up with anything. That must have been a fun part of the design process. Was like come up with monsters. There's so many different looking monsters in this show. The only thing is like um, he wasn't like a stupid character as well. Like he wasn't like Snarf or whatever. Right. He was in that thing where he was the pet of the team. Yes. But he wasn't. He's not stupid and annoying. No, he gets into trouble. He's a little mischievous. He's he's sensitive. He's a little cowardly. What was he? What what was he before he was a, a, a ghost? According to Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd, he's a tribute to John Belushi. Oh, okay. So he's actually John Belushi's ghost. He's John Belushi's self-indulgent ghost, yes. From what I understand. Oh, okay. So he would have been doing lots of not kid-friendly stuff. <laughs> yes. Which, um, when you look at him in the film, is it, a quite possible. I mean, I know it's mostly food, but we only see him for a little bit. We don't know what else he's into. Yeah, as well. All right, so let's wrap up on the real Ghostbusters. Uh, you know what? Before we do that, let's talk about why it is the real Ghostbusters versus the not real Ghostbusters. Real quick, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but Ghostbusters or the Ghostbusters was a uh, '70s live-action children's show. <laughs> We're the Ghostbusters. I'm Some actors from F Troop would do a Monster of the Week and they would hunt down ghosts. Then later, uh, when this cartoon, when the film came out, uh, they actually had to get the rights or pay royalties to Filmation, who owned the rights to that show, as well as the name, The, the Ghostbusters. And there's similarities between the two shows. You can look that up if you're interested in it. The, you know, they both drive jalopies. They have logos that look very similar. They use a ray gun type thing to capture ghosts. Uh, one has a giant ape in it. Uh, but anyway, so when the film came out, Filmation, because they love that dough, was like, all right, great. 
we own the rights to Ghostbusters. We're going to put out a cartoon. And so they put out their cartoon in 1986, much to the dismay of children who wanted to actually see it, see the real Ghostbusters. So uh, Deke was smart to call their Ghostbusters the real Ghostbusters because obviously the film had a lot more penetration than the goofy 70s show. All right, so let's wrap up on the real Ghostbusters. Specifically, this Christmas special. I think we touched on all the likes. Is there anything you disliked about the show, John? Uh, well, it would be the fact that there was only one part of it available <laughs> to me through Daily Motion, and then uh, myself and yourself had to engage in piracy yes. to uh, let me see the last ten minutes of it because uh, I have a special copy of that now, where it's not only the real Ghostbusters, but it's you and your wife talking about dinner or something. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> but no, it's great. I actually, that, that there wasn't really anything I disliked about No. It. Uh, that's the truth. No. no. All right. Well, with that said, I, I don't have any dislikes about the show either. Um, where would you rank this in our Cereal Bowl ranking? Um, I would give it a nine. And the reason I go with nine yeah. is because as far as I'm concerned in my head, Batman the Animated Series is a 10. Mm, okay. Okay. That's the god tier for me. Okay. And I love this, but it's not as good as Batman the Animated Series. Wow, yeah. Well, thankfully, we don't have a, uh, a spreadsheet yet for this show where we're ranking every Saturday morning cartoon or trying to figure out the greatest Saturday morning cartoons of all time. I would give this a 10. And now that you said that, I feel even more firm in my choice to give this a uh, 10 out of 10 because with your example i love batman the animated series and i feel like that it elevated that character to another level and introduced things to that character that are still around today most specifically harley quinn but there's other elements too and handled the property so well that it felt like a, a good extension to the film and in, in a lot of ways it's a better representation of Batman than the 89 film. So, uh, yeah, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10 because okay. I feel like I'll this cartoon did the same thing with the Ghostbusters property. I think it took those characters, elevated it, broadened the audience. And uh, as we discussed with the Kate McKinnon character and other elements of that reboot or remake, uh, I feel like the cartoon probably contributed to some of those choices. So, yeah, I'm, I'm good with a 10 out of 10. I just got a one complaint. Okay. Where's all the sexy Janine cosplays, ladies? Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to say this, but uh, yeah, I, because you brought it up, Janine was definitely a cartoon crush for me. <laughs> like now. Okay. <laughs> not now. You're not ordering a pillow from Etsy, Janine. No, I'm not. I'm not ordering any sweet uh, wish.com Janine merchandise. <laughs> Well, that just about does it for us. I'd like to thank our very own Johnny Capcom. Thank you, John, for joining me on this episode. And also the members of the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club, without whom this podcast is not possible. If you'd like to become a member of the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club, visit hotbloodedchallenger.club. You can nominate a Saturday morning cartoon for us to discuss by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, as we mentioned earlier, with your nomination. Or fast-track your nomination by becoming a member of the Hot-Blooded Challenger Club for as little as a quarter a week. Well, with that said, we'll be right back after the next episode drops. Ray Parker Jr. Here we go with Ghostbusters. Strange, 
Feel good. 